This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. Australian racing has seen few more respected trainers than Victoria's Colin Alderson, who retired from his hands-on role in 2016. For the latter part of his 50-year involvement, Colin had trained in partnership with daughter Cindy, who continues to run the Cranbourne Stable in her own right. Colin Alderson was a friend to fellow trainers through his devoted service to the Australian and Victorian Trainers Associations. His honest and straightforward approach endeared him to hundreds of owners over the years, and speaking on behalf of the racing media, I'd like to acknowledge his unwavering cooperation whenever a journalist or commentator needed his help. Very early in life, thoughts of becoming a jockey were uppermost in Colin's mind and he actually rode ten winners at the picnics. But it wasn't long before he realised if he was going to stay in racing, it would have to be as a trainer. And he filled that role with great distinction for more than half a century. He's never declined an interview and I hope he doesn't start now. (laughs) I I think we've got him on the line from Cranbourne. Morning, Cole. Thanks for joining us. Hey, John. I know health has been a little issue of late, but uh, you've weathered the storm and you're on the way up the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually got a horse in the paddock called Weather Storm, so it's probably well named. um, (laughs) Very timely. It's been a bit rough the last couple of years, to be honest, but uh, I think, or hopefully, I've got the last of them behind me. I'm sure you have, Cole. You sound as bright as a button. You know, you and Cindy were amongst the first in Australian racing to form a training partnership. Now they're prevalent right across Australia. Yeah, well, um, whilst I was uh, president of the Trainers Association, I fought to get this brought in for Mm. trainers, a partnership, and uh, Cindy and I were the first to take up a training partnership and as you can see it's gone right through the industry now and mm. I think it's a good thing with with racing you know seven days and nights a week I don't think one man can run the show properly. You haven't completely stopped have you you're still running around to an odd race meeting and giving Cindy a hand whenever she's short of staff. Yeah um, I, look I've got to keep my nose out a little bit, John, because I I got to, I tend to uh, have my say when it's not probably welcome. But um, <laughs> yeah, I run the, the adjustment side of it and the brood mares, and you know I still run horses in and out of the stable and go to the trials and type like that. But I don't mm. don't get to the races as often. Cindy attained her license in 1990, and she won a city race with the first horse she ever trained. Was it a horse called Old Magician? Yeah, that's the horse. Um, we actually got him from Alan Jones too. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he was a, a good horse for her. Um, put her. Put her on the – well, not on the map, but put her on her feet mm-hmm. pretty much first off. It's difficult to break lifelong habits, Cole, and I'll bet you're still waking up at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning. You're right, John. I was up at 3.30 this morning having a cup of tea. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I, I usually get up, perhaps sit around, read a paper f- 
for half a half an hour to an hour, and then I might come back to bed. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. I think that's something that's that's in your system that you can't get away from, isn't it? You grew up on a dairy farm at a little place called Seaford down Frankston Way, and you can clearly remember your dad delivering milk to his customers with a horse and cart. You've just dated yourself. Yeah, well, the, the cart in those days was a bit like the chariot, you know, the two-wheeler and that, and <laughs> they'd put the um, milk cans in the back of it and, that, and they'd run up to a house mm. with a, a billy and a, a ladle or dipper, Yeah, and they'd dipper the, whatever quantity of milk the people wanted out and uh, and put a little bit in extra in case you spilled some on the way, and mm. that's the way they used to deliver the milk, no, no bottles and... Mm. Anything like that. Now you go to the supermarket, Cole, you chuck three or four cartons into the trolley and home you come. Yeah, no, it's all it's changed a lot, you know, from those early days. Well, everything has in, in life, hasn't it? You know, nothing stays the same. And a bloke like no. your dad, Tom, uh, would look at the way things are today and shake his head. He must have been a remarkably versatile bloke. He was a dairy farmer. He was a a professional fisherman on occasions. And you were telling me that when the snapper were running, uh, he'd get out there and come home with some enormous catches. Yeah. Yeah, no, they, um, you know, they were great days. We, We lived literally across the road. We only had to go 150 yards and we were on the beach when we were kids and, in those days, they'd have the boats in a boat shed or something and they'd mm. pull them down and and shoot a net out around the fish. But, no, they were good days. Um, not not really that professional, but they were hard-working men. They'd pull them in with hand winches and things like that. They didn't have the motor. Well, they got motorised winches towards the end, but mm. in the early days, they'd pull them in with a hand winch, you know. Mm. You know, uh, your, your dad, Tom dabbled in horse training, he won many picnic races and every now and again he'd come up with a serious horse and one such horse was Double Scotch. He won a Ballarat Cup, Colin. I had a look at the records in 1949. Mm. He's a lovely old horse too, an old stallion, big, strong, chestnut horse Mm. and... uh, Anyway, Dad and Mum didn't have the money then to race horses, particularly he used to train them, as, you know, non owner trainer basically mm. uh, way. But um, all the neighbours wanted him to enter in the Melbourne Cup, but he never had the money to enter it. And they all offered to put the money in, but he, he rejected it and didn't, didn't enter the horse. But I don't know if he was a cap horse, John, but he was, uh, he was a, a good horse to them at the time. Absolutely. You remember Dad starting him twice in one day occasionally. One day at Packenham he backed him up. Yeah, that wasn't uncommon in those days to, to run a horse twice, particularly around the picnic meetings. But there mm. he, he – uh, I think something went wrong the first start, so he declared him to run a second time in the day and uh, invariably he won. Mm. There was one old horse in the stable – who had a dual role. His name was Farnwatch. Now, during the week, you tell me he'd pull the milk cart. Saturday, he'd turn up at a picnic meeting somewhere 
and invariably win a race. Yeah, no, they're tough old folk, and a uh, funny story about that old fellow. I can remember, well, I don't remember, but I was told the story where Dad mm. took him down to the neighbour's dairy farm in the, in the cart, and he said, geez, this horse is quick off the mark. So he stood him up and gave him a slap on the backside, and away he went, snapped both traces, took <laughs> off down the road with all the gear and no cart. <laughs> Oh, there must have been a million stories like that in the old days. Yeah, no, we, uh, but it was a great old horse. When they come back from the delivering the milk of the morning, they'd unharness them mm. and let them go, and they'd walk across the Nepean Highway, which is just choppers with cars now, but they'd walk across the highway mm. and go and have a swim and roll in the sand over on the beach yeah. um, with nobody touching them at all. They'd just go walk about. Mm. You didn't have a horse float, did you, well, in that era? How did you get to race meetings? Yeah, no, we all went in the cattle truck, loaded them up, and away we went. And, uh, you know, you'd have anything up to four or five horses on the truck and about down the back corner you'd be sitting with canvas rugs and everything around you to keep you warm. <laughs> but, no, that's the way we got to the races in those days, um, no floats. We'd never had a car good enough to pull one anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what use was a float? <laughs> Carl, you could ride from a very early age and for a while there you were going to be a jockey by hook or by crook. Well, you get aspirations of wanting to be a jockey, but no, it wasn't realistic as it turned out. But no, I, I've, there was pictures of me sitting on there as a, as a little toddler, basically. Mum <laughs> used to sit me on the horses and, and actually um, – feed me on the horse because I wouldn't eat most of the time. So <laughs> I, was, I was dieting then to try and be a jockey, but no, nah, yeah. didn't happen. Your first ride in the race was at a place called Druin, and it was supposed to be a race for horses no taller than 14 hands. You cheated yeah. a bit. Yeah, well, we used to, you know, take the shoes off and get them measured at the race, they'd sand them on a concrete slab and uh, we used to get a, a little bit of wood and put a tack through it and just tap them on the wither. So when they come to measure them, the horse would shrink down and uh, <laughs> you perhaps get a, an inch or two inches start in the race. But, um, yeah, no, I think it was a mare called Baroda Gold, I can remember. Mm. But, uh, no, it might have been. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But I... Uh, I didn't do much good. I got turned around at the start because I used to start at, at staggered tapes. Oh, yep. And and uh, thing inside me or something whipped around and knocked me off out of the line. But anyway, it was Druin's. Uh, actually, Sydney won the Druin Cup there. You see, with a, a little mare that uh, they sent to the picnics for one of our girl riders and she won six and won the picky horse of the year so mm. but Truman's a very fond track it's up and down hill and a great place you always enjoyed breaking in and educating young horses now you had a good client by the name of pat hayes who had a mare called byam rose and byam rose just happened to be a nutcase now pat Tired of her, he gave up, in fact, and tossed her in the paddock. She'd been out for 12 months, and then he remembered she was there and he had to do something with her. Yeah. No, 
a lot of fond memories with Byron Rose, um, Rosie as she was known. But um, yeah, she she was very highly strung. Mayor used to live in about a half acre paddock with a loose box, mm. good and stabler. Um, if you uh, <coughs> excuse me, if you um, didn't work a first in the morning, she wouldn't eat all day. Um, just was that worked up, but mm. no, she wrecked floats, did everything like that, but certainly could run. I can tell you, she well, she broke what six track records. So. Yeah, she won fifteen in all, Cole. She broke six track records around the country areas. Now, one day at Taralgon, she gave you a hell of a fright, and I think you had your own on that day too. So we had the wash money on anyway, and. <laughs> Albeit that Jack McCarthy, had, the previous trainer, had told us that she couldn't trust us. She would fall to pieces on race day. But, mm. yeah, she um, she was leading well and truly into the straight and gonna, couldn't get beat. Mm. Next minute she jumped the crossing about halfway up the straight. And mm. I thought, oh, don't tell me it's going to fall over. But anyway, she... Mm. Went on to win and break the track record for a first start for us since we when we got her. So mm. it was all up and up and up from then on. Mm. It was like winning tats. Like you, you get a nice horse like that when you got no money. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it, your it, It's a godsend. Now, when yeah. Byam Rose finished racing, the Aldersons negotiated a deal with Pat Hayes regarding the foals. Now, what was the deal? Yeah, no, Pat actually died. Um, mm. He had an operation and he, he didn't make it out of hospital. But yeah. Paul Hayes, his nephew, inherited the horse and um, we did a deal that he had the mare and we provided the stallion mm. and um, we go halves in the progeny, which we did. And as you said, the third foal was a, a filly by Century mm. and uh, – it topped the sale, Bart Cummings bought it, and uh, it um, went on to win a race in Adelaide and, and actually twisted a bow. But mm. out of that, I bought myself a, a decent car. Goodness me. And, um, no, she really set us up in the early stages, paid for our property at Langwarren. Mm. And, uh, no, very fortunate to get her. And, but... Uh, I had to train her unconventionally. That's probably the right way to put it because mm-hmm. she wasn't a horse could be trained on a track. I used to have a sand quarry opposite in Langwarren and I'd ride her out through there rather than take her to the track, you know. Mm. But um, no, very good mare and uh, you get a, a, a lot of love and affection for those animals that help you along in the way, don't you? Mm. Cole, of all the horses to come into your life, Basher was possibly the closest to your heart. He'd been reared by an elderly couple who had spoiled him rotten and you had to literally discipline him all over again. Yeah, virtually re-break him. The first day I got him home, I, he was in a, a box, a stable at, uh, at my property and um, I went to open the door to walk in. Mm. and he literally kicked the door out of my hands. Um, <clears throat> so we had our first consultation at that stage. <laughs> and um, But he uh, he turned out to be a very affectionate horse. He was just dead set spoiled. You know, uh, 
A lot of horses are ruined by you don't have to be cruel to a horse, but you've got to be firm, like your children. You know, they mm. they respect you if you discipline them in a sensible way, you know. Mm. Yep. Every young trainer in his formative years needs that special horse to bring him under notice. How did you get hold of a horse called Nicholas John? Yeah, well, he was bought in Adelaide and uh, – came to me and he was a graduation horse at that stage in Adelaide mm. and um, anyway, they, they said, oh, you'll win a couple of mile and a half races in Melbourne with him. So I trained him up and uh, he turned out a little bit better than a mile and a half horse at, at winning a race in Melbourne. He, uh, mm-hmm. he said, no, he won a Metrop and a Colin Stevens and, and everything like that. But mm. tough old beggar, he was affectionate and but a tough – Before you brought him to Sydney in 1982, he kicked off with a 2,000-metre win at Mooney Valley with Gary Doughty on board. And then on the 25th of September, 82, at Randwick, he won the Colin Stephen, Peter Cook in the saddle, and I think financially for your stable, it was a beauty. Yeah, no, uh, Alan Jorgensen won... He tells me he won a half a million on him in the first first go, and then he butted up again for the same in the uh, Metropolitan and, and pulled it off again. He bought himself a house in Templestowe. So uh, with swimming pool and tennis courts, that's the sort of yeah. things that money could buy in those days. It'd probably take you five or six million a day to get that sort of result. But mm. anyway, he, he was a tough horse. He only had 49.5 in the Metropolitan, Peter Cook again in the saddle, and he beat some useful horses too. He beat Lance Lotto, Wellington Road, Gurners Lane, and he must have done well after the Colin Stephen because you were super confident. Yeah, I didn't think he could get beaten in the Metropolitan Handicap. He'd gone on from the race and settled in well in Sydney. Actually, Mm. he'd settle anywhere, that horse. He... uh, you know, you could change his box. He'd still eat and drink overnight. And he's a tough old fella, but he, uh, yeah, he, um, I thought he just couldn't get beat in the Metropolitan, but um, mm. pity that he didn't get a start in the Melbourne, or wasn't in it in the Melbourne Cup because he would have gone in on the minimum and uh, mm. he would have been pretty competitive, I reckon. Yep. Well, he hadn't been nominated for either of the Cups, so on the way home, from Randwick, you decided to send him around in the Canberra Cup. He was long odds on, and uh, he, he wasn't impressive at all, Col. He fell in. He beat a mare called Irish Bell, and I don't think she ever won a race after that. Yeah, you know, it was an inferior cup. It was a track gallop, and uh, fortunately for me, he brought the biggies home and he paid for the trip home, so... Mm. Um, no, he was a, he's a lovely animal. She fell fall in love with him, John. And you gave him a home for life too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. He lived at our house at Langwarren and he he ruled the roost. He'd win out every time you went out and to mm. talk to him and he got a few treats on the way. So, mm. yeah, no, he ended up like a kid's pony, to be honest. Mm. After uh, his Sydney campaign, he spelled, or after the Canberra Cup, he went to the paddock and he came back to win a Group 2. He won the CB Cox Stakes at Ascot 
He ran second with Harry White on board in an Adelaide Cup and he finished up winning a total of 16 races. Four of those, I think, were in Adelaide before you got him. Now, Kyle, we'll just pause for a break on the podcast. Back in a moment or two with Colin Orders. A catalogue of almost 200 horses will be offered for sale at the final English auction of the year, the 2019 Ready to Race sale at Riverside Stables on Tuesday, October 22nd. All horses are two-year-olds, broken in and prepared by experienced horse people and presented for sale, literally ready to race. Each horse will undertake a breeze-up session, which is a gallop ending in a 200-metre sprint. Each breeze-up will be recorded, which will enable prospective buyers to get a gauge on a horse's action, size and potential ability. There'll be an additional breeze-up session this year at Eagle Farm in Brisbane on Monday, September the 23rd, and other sessions will be held at Cranbourne, September the 13th, Warwick Farm, September 20th, Taupo in New Zealand, September the 23rd, with a second session at Warwick Farm on Friday, October the 18th. The strength and quality of the English ready-to-race sale catalogue is unparalleled in Australasia. Special guest is retired Victorian trainer Colin Alderson. Colin, another old timer you had enormous regard for was Sea Legend. Best remembered for a third placing to At Talak and Rising Fear in the 1987 Melbourne Cup. He won half a dozen average races leading into the spring of that year, but then he hit his straps. He won the Dalgetty with Darren Gauchy on board and I think the Gouch was desperate to ride him in the Melbourne Cup, but couldn't. Yeah, well, Darren was already booked to ride another horse in the Melbourne Cup, so mm. he uh, had to stay with that ride. And uh, he was desperate to, to ride Sea Legion, and perhaps he may have won the Cup with on him. But, um, no, he tough old horse. He, he probably wasn't uh, to, up to the class of the horse to, of today, but uh, mm. he was a tough staying horse that tried his heart out, you know. Now, he got galloped on in the Melbourne Cup, Colin, didn't he, early in the race, and he was shockingly stripped. Yeah, he, he virtually severed a back tendon and um, he galloped the majority of the way with a, a, a tendon virtually severed and, and still managed to run third. Mm. But when once he got back to the uh, weighing enclosure, he... Was obvious that he had a bad injury, and he was um, mm. nearly walking on his heel. Um, he was basically off for over twelve months. That horse, and yeah. uh, he come back and, and won a Geelong Cup, I think, as well after. But uh, yeah, he dead heated actually in a Geelong Cup. Michael Clark rode him. Yeah, Jim Houlihan trained the other dead heater actually. Mm. It was always a worry when one of Jim Houlihan's horses lined up. Beside you at the furlong, you think, well, this thing's not going to go away. <laughs> they were as tough as old boots. Absolutely. You had mm. great affection for my wandering star. He was a yeah, grey no. stallion, but you'd never know it, Cole. God, he was a lovely horse, wasn't he? Yeah. No, we bought him at uh, the Melbourne sales, I think, for $8,000. Mm. And uh, we had a lot of success buying that type of horse, just watching him walk in and you know, a lot of our horses that we went on to race 
Um, we bought him for virtually a small amount of money, but no, he was a, a special animal. Um, Sydney used to have a lot of time for him. She took him to Sydney and won, mm. I think, a country country race of some sort. Horses that hadn't won the metropolitan area or something, but mm. he uh, he went on to win a Group Two, I think, in Sydney, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he did. He won the Farlap Stakes at Rose Hill over the Slipper Carnival. Yeah, no, he was uh, tough as boots, and uh, but a lovely animal. You could walk him. Well, you never knew he was. The kids used to, the grandkids even used to sit on him in his yard and mm. walk around on him. You know, he, he never ever showed any um, nastiness at all. No. Being a stallion, they, they, you know, you got to watch him at times. Mm. You had an old stayer called Apollo Run who struck a bit of form in the spring of 1988. He ran second in the Turnbull, third in the Herbert Power, wasn't far away in the Caulfield Cup, just out of a place. Then he won the Werribee Cup and then Alf Matthews rode him in the Melbourne Cup and he ran a cracking good fourth. Yeah, pity the old fella couldn't run two miles. He was probably going to win at the 200-metre mark. He loomed up, but mm. that was the end of his run. He, he plotted to run fourth. But, yeah, he he was a tough horse, but he just didn't have the ability to, mm. to run two mile. Otherwise, he may have uh, brought home some real cash. Mm. He trained on. Kylie ran third in the Tankridge Stakes. He won a Craig Lee with Gary Willits in the saddle. He ran second in an Underwood and fourth in a Caulfield Cup, you dream about him, don't you? Yeah, well, you know, he was about a 30-odd-thousand dollar purchase from New Zealand, and uh, mm. he, um, yeah, he was a, g- a good horse, just a notch be- be- below top class, but yeah. he-, he was winning decent races at the same time. Mm. You tell a very funny story about a horse called Dapper's Hope, who ran second to you, Clays, in the Goodwood Handicap in 1992. You backed him up two days later, which is something you wouldn't normally do. He must have been a tough customer. You backed him up in a race called the Angus Brute. Now, after that race, the winning trainer had access, if he desired, to any amount of champagne. Yeah, what they... uh, (coughs) Excuse me. What they used to do was, uh, if you won the race, they'd take you out on the track and put you on an old set of scales out there and weigh you, and whatever you, your weight went, you got in champagne. But on the way back to the weighing-in enclosure, I, uh, I was walking past the jockey's room and the, Colin Hayes um, come running out of the jockey's room and he's poking things into my pockets. And <laughs> I said, what the hell are you doing anyway? Uh, Turned out he was putting lead in my pockets to make sure I made the weight. <laughs> <laughs> to get the free Angus Brute. <laughs> yeah, well, we got our share, but uh, yeah. no, it, it was a great. But to, to run a three-year-old, um, you know, in the in the Goodwood and then in the Angus Brute was a pretty big effort, to be honest. Yeah. Must have licked the bin out in between. Yeah, no, he's, he's a good little horse. He, uh, mm. Probably didn't get – well, I can remember someone saying that he, uh, you know, how good he was, and he ended up, I think, the third uh, top three-year-old in the, in the season behind Scalacci and those horses. So mm, exactly. It was a pretty big accolade for that type of horse. Mm. 
You had a filly called La Volta going for a big bonus once in 1998 if she could win a treble, the Auraria Stakes, the Australasian Oaks and the South Australian Oaks. What happened there? Got beat. (laughs) (laughs) She won the first two legs. Yeah, she won the first two. There was a... Um, I think it was a hundred thousand dollar bonus for the trainer and probably half a million or something for the owners. But mm. uh, yeah, she, she was uh, pretty hot, Philly. But anyway, she lined up to win, and uh, Gay Waterhouse had one in it. And I think the margin was probably four or five lengths to the field. But um, mm. yeah, Gay's horse beat a, uh, literally by a match, and um, it was it cost us a, a little bit of money at that time. It would have been a lot to me, I can tell you. What about the horse named after yourself, Alderson? That must yeah. have brought a few flippant remarks from friends and associates. Yeah, well, Alan Jones named him, and um, <laughs> he he wouldn't tell me the horse's name when he he we bought him over there. Mm. He was actually only a three thousand dollar purchase. Goodness me! And we bought him in New Zealand. We bought quite a lot of horses like that types in New Zealand and he'd he'd train them up and and if they were up to it he'd he'd send them over and he said I've never trained a champion but he said I think I've got one here for us <laughs> anyway it was Alderson and um, he actually named him Cannon and I said what do you call him Cannon for he said because he's a big gun <laughs> <laughs> Alan Jones of course has been a Top trainer in New Zealand for many, many years and a close friend of yours. Yeah, no, we're virtually family in, in one way or another, but, yeah, we're, we still see a lot of each other when we I go. He lives at Caloundra now, so I oftentimes go up and visit him, But and he comes down for the same. But, um, mm. no, great family, good relationship, and, uh, you know, he supported me in those early days very well. and. Yeah. But Alderson was a good horse. He, um, what about the day he won his maiden at sale? You were in hospital. Yeah, no, they they'd said I'd had a heart attack and put me in hospital and um, I'm laying there and anyway, uh, the specialist came in to take – well, I was in intensive care, so the <laughs> specialist comes in to uh, check on me and um, – I said, you haven't come to see me, have you? He said, yeah. I said, well, I'm listening to a race. He said, how? I said, I've got a radio in the pillow here. Mm. He said, you can't have a radio in here. I said, well, anyway, I had it there. He walked away and he come back about 10 minutes later. He said, how'd the horse go? I said, yeah, one by six. Mm. So mum said, you're not allowed to come home. Told the kids don't bring dad home from hospital if this horse wins. So... <laughs> The bloke checked me out and said, there's nothing wrong with you. You can go home. Yeah. The other my other daughter, Katrina, up, mm-hmm. said, come and get me. She said, mum's not allowed to – said, we're not allowed to bring you home. I said, well, if you don't come and get me, I'll get in a taxi. So she <laughs> come. <laughs> you know, she he fin- finished up winning a Group 3 in Sydney. Uh, Colin, he won the Ajax Stakes with Greg Hall in the saddle. Yeah, no, he uh, – different horse. Um, Greg uh, – had a, an affinity with him. He won two or three on him, and uh, mm. I think he won a race at Bendigo on him and broke a track record too, that horse. But, mm. um, yeah, he 
you can only ride in one way. If you're riding for pace, it, 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 he wasn't as good a horse. He was better ridden quietly and, and allowed to run on. But I think when he won in Sydney, he raced a little bit closer because there was no speed in the race. But, um, mm. yeah, no, very good hood. Bowed a tendon up there at the time and uh, had to bring him home. Otherwise, I think he might have gone on to be a pretty special animal. French Resort was a versatile mare. She won from 1,000 metres to the 3,200 metres of the 96 Adelaide Cup. Yeah, no, she um, she won her first two starts, actually, as a two-year-old filly and um, won at Cranbourne over 1,000 and then went to Flemington and won over 1,200. And then uh, she actually cracked the pelvis at one stage and we had to... Um, leave a rest of her quite a time and finally she come back to win an Adelaide Cup but you know it's a bit sad when she went to stud and her progeny went to the sale they marked her down as a two miler instead you know she was probably had, should have had the accolades for winning as a two year old yeah. up to two mile because there's not many horses in the world can do that you know mm. Oh, no, no, it's a rarity. Stubby Holder rode her in that Adelaide Cup. He's still going strongly and still right up there in the top bracket of Adelaide jockeys. Well, that brings yeah. the curtain down on part one, Colin, of our special interview with you. And when we come back for part two, we're going to talk about your once-in-a-lifetime horse. The stallion representation at the English Ready to Race sale on October the 22nd is a who's who of the breeding industry. Better than ready, Nakoni, Brazen Bow, Not a Single Doubt, Deep Field, Rubik, Dundeal and Shooting to Win. And we've just scratched the surface. Add to that Hinch and Brook, So You Think, Holy Roman Emperor, Spirit of Boom, I Am Invincible, Starcraft, Medaglia Doro, Tavistock, More Than Ready, Written Tycoon, No Nay Never and Zoostar. Inglis again team up with Racing New South Wales by presenting the sale three days after the Everest. The timing will ensure the attention of world buyers who'll be focused on Sydney at Everest time. October 22nd is the date for the English Ready to Race sale at Riverside. <laughs> 